This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. With one gun rights case now being considered by the Supreme Court, another case aims to give greater substance to the right to keep and bear arms. Cato Institute senior fellow Tom Palmer wants to have his right to not just keep but also bear arms in the District of Columbia. We spoke last week. I had originally been one of the plaintiffs in the Heller case, and that proceeded with six plaintiffs uh, because of an unusual feature of what they call the standing rule in D.C. Uh, D.C. had a very unusual rule to be granted standing. You effectively had to have already been arrested to be able to say that your constitutional rights were in danger. And only one of the plaintiffs, according to the court, met that standard because he had applied in writing for a permit and was denied in writing. Now, I had also applied but was not given a letter denying me a permit. The court ruled that, well, that triggered this unusual standing rule, so it proceeded on that basis. And the court ruled that they cannot say that reasonable restrictions on gun ownership, you can't have you know, uh, mass murderers, convicted felons, and so on uh, owning guns, that reasonable restrictions could not be extended to encompass a total ban, just an absolute prohibition. And so they validated the right to keep arms, and that was essentially all that was being requested in that particular case, was to invalidate a law that forbade the possession of functional firearms. Now, there are two additional steps, though, to get what we think the Second Amendment requires, which is the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, The first that's being litigated in Chicago in the McDonald case is what is called incorporation, which means that there needs to be some decision by the judiciary that the Bill of Rights applies to the states. It's unmistakable that it applies to the federal district, the District of Columbia, but does it apply to the uh, state of Illinois or to the municipality of Chicago? And so that issue is being litigated in Chicago. In the district, we are fighting, in the other case, uh, for the right to bear arms. The Second Amendment says the right to keep and bear. The district has grudgingly allowed, because they were required by the Supreme Court, that you may have a firearm, a functional firearm, in your home for self-defense. But it can only be transported out of the home to and from a lawful Uh, recreational event of some sort, in other words, to the shooting range. But that's it. And so uh, our case, our argument is that you cannot say that you can ignore a key element of the Second Amendment. Their argument is, well, we can have restrictions on you can't carry it into a bank or into a courtroom, etc., and therefore you can ban it. But that argument was already exploded in the Heller case, that uh, the existence of reasonable regulations does not extend to encompass a complete and absolute prohibition. Um, One of the reasons that I feel more confident about the right to keep and bear arms is I have used a handgun to defend myself. I'm not some kind of a gun nut. I don't uh, enjoy that for its own sake uh, or have any kind of strange fetish or obsession with firearms, but I'm alive because I was armed when I needed to be. I would have been killed. There's no question in my mind. Very credible threats of murder were made against me and a colleague when we were walking down the street. And the self-defense that I engaged in was a non-news event. Namely, I 
uh, took out the firearm. We ran. We were chased by a substantial gang. Uh, went to a street light, turned around, and leveled a firearm at them and said, if you come any closer, I will kill you. Now, their threats of violence had been very real, very credible. We're going to kill you, and they'll never find your bodies. Uh, I'm alive now because I had that firearm when I needed it. It didn't end up in the newspaper. We were not a police statistic. Uh, no firearm was discharged. I'm very glad about that. I didn't have to use it in that sense. All I had to do was show it, and those criminals backed off. That gave me an additional 28 years of life, and I'm very glad that I had a firearm when I needed it. There is this abhorrence to the idea that people uh, would carry in the open firearms on a consistent basis. Well, there, there's a couple of things that need to be clarified in that regard. The right to carry might mean concealed or it might mean open, and that's a decision that would be made by the uh, political authorities, the elected authorities, state legislatures, and so on, whether they would have open carry, which some states have, or concealed carry, which is uh, much more common. We found, though, that in those areas that do have uh, the right to carry, there's no more crime. When shall-issue laws were passed in the states, which said that the local sheriff or other authority shall issue a permit unless there's a reason not to, like a restraining order against the person or the person is a convicted killer or something like that, um, that in fact there was no rise in crime. And as a matter of fact, there was a fall. What's responsible for what is a, bit, is a difficult matter, but the dire predictions that were made uh, did not come true, not a single one of them. Fact of the matter is that it's certainly if you went to a concealed carry permit regime, those are the people that you most want to be armed. They're fingerprinted, they're photographed, there's a criminal background check, there's a ballistic test on the firearm. Those are the people you should be the least concerned about. The fact is that the criminals in the District of Columbia and elsewhere are already armed. It turns out it's a surprise to our rulers, but criminals don't obey the law. I mean, who knew that criminals would just ignore the current laws on the books? So they are armed. And in fact, if you want to go buy firearms in the district, you can buy them. If you're a, a non-risk-averse person, which your typical criminal is, there are places you can get firearms. They're not registered. They don't have any uh, procedure to vet them. What we're saying is that law-abiding citizens should be able to have that option to be armed if they choose. It's required by the Constitution, and as a matter of common sense and experience, it's really nothing to be afraid of. Let's say you win. Even from that perspective, it seems unlikely to me that a whole large uh, minority of people in Washington, D.C. would suddenly decide, you know what, I'm going to start carrying a gun around with me uh, at all times. That just doesn't seem like a, a likely scenario. Well, indeed, in places that do have shall issue a concealed carry permit laws, not a large number of people decide to opt for that. And it's very important to remember this is not mandatory. We're not talking about Switzerland where you're required to be armed and to have firearms and so on. We're talking about that as an option among law-abiding citizens. And I frankly feel marginally or a little bit more safe when I go to places like Colorado, knowing that there are some people there who are armed. They're trained in the use of firearms. They know how to use them. 
It's the person sitting next to you uh, at the restaurant. It's another person around the corner. And if there's a problem, there are some people there, law-abiding persons, who can help to take care of it. So that, to me, uh, means a, a slightly more safe society. It also means a more uh, a constitutional order. That is to say, we actually respect our Constitution, which requires the right to keep and bear arms. But no, I don't expect we're going to be seeing large numbers of people, certainly not in the District of Columbia, uh, armed. Uh, or let me modify that slightly. I don't think we'll see a lot more people, because there are a lot of armed people in the District of Columbia already. They're criminals. What we're talking about is the law-abiding population, and a few more would probably opt to be armed. One of the things that we found is that uh, pretty consistently, when there's an awareness on the part of the criminal population that some percentage, hard to predict, of the law-abiding population is armed, a lot of violent crimes go down. One of the things that was observed is when states pass these new shall-issue concealed carry permit laws, that break-ins to houses declined. But you know what went up? Break-ins to locked, parked cars late at night. Because the criminals are rational. They fear, if I break into a house, there may be someone there with a firearm to defend the home and family. But they're quite confident if they smash a car window and steal the radio, the car isn't going to defend itself. And so I'd like to live in a society where some percentage of the population is known to be armed and capable of taking care of problems if they arise. Who's representing you? Alan Gura. He's the same attorney who handled the Heller case um, and very competent, and he's really focused on this and also in the McDonald case as well. Uh, he's a, a really, really smart, very focused, uh, reasonable. So I'm very confident about our legal representation. Tom Palmer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more on the individual right to keep and bear arms at Cato.org.